With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. On September 25th, 2016, from Coolidge, Arizona. We're overall, we're in the book of Acts, chapter 7. We have... Um, we have some modifications of a discussion last week. Uh, we'll call this not a rabbit trail, but a bunny trail. Um, of course, some of you folks have the habit of waiting till we're done and then asking a question. Um, I'd like. That's you ask if we have any questions. I, that's right, <laughs> Alex. You hit it right on the head. Uh, so that's. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the question last week um, was from Mike, and I wrote him this week and asked him if he wanted to redefine his question or re-clarify it or just simply restate it. Mike, are you prepared to do that this morning, or do you want me to summarize it? Well, I can't remember what verse it was, or uh, uh, you go through so much. So yeah, summarize it, and then I'll see if I I, I think you answered it for me. So well, I'm concerned. If we did, but I, I want to be thorough on this matter. We were talking about the covenant of circumcision and the factor of enslavement. And um, I have a note here that somebody wrote. I'll see if I can get it to, so I can read it. Um, I think that what, Mike, somebody was wanting to interpret your question, and here's what they wrote. I think what Mike was trying to figure out was trying to figure out is if someone decides to be circumcised and they are a Christian at the time, and they know that by doing that they will then throw away Christ and go back into slavery of the law, that it can't really be called slavery because they chose to do so voluntarily. Um, so therefore, Mike doesn't think it could really be called slavery because it was a choice to do that, not because they were born into it or forced into it. So that's, a, yeah. that's another comment that I got from someone else, Mike. Yeah, no, I <clears throat> see, if you, like, like today, people are circumcised just for health reasons, I think. So, right. so well, Yeah, but we know we dealt with that. Yeah. So that, that circumcision only had, was in effect as a, if it was done according to the law. Yeah. So yeah. So if you're doing it because you want to obey the law, then yeah, you throw yourself back into the to the problem. That, uh, Three days so. in slavery because you're now slave to the law. I mean, you have to follow the law to commit to that. If you commit to that, but circumcision, as, as the verses we read last week are not a commitment to that if we just do so no, no, for not, health not reasons. Not medical or, or whatever, yeah. but you know, if you voluntarily are circumcised under the Jewish tradition to become a Jew, then you're now enslaved to the law. The whole law. The whole law. Animal sacrifice and all. And that, 
that 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 would be true. Now I want to can I expand on that just a little bit uh, as a bunny trail? No bearing one way or the other. Yeah, I I, I heard I heard another voice squeak in there, didn't I? It sounded like oh, Ted. Ted is just groaning um, back here. Just yeah. <laughs> oh, it is it is Ted. Well, hey, glad to hear. Yeah. Let's go to Romans chapter six. And by the way, there's, there is another factor here that in our Acts account, remember this was not tied into the law at this point. This was under the patriarchal age, and it was tied in only to God and man as far as the covenant is concerned. Not, not. Uh, it was not a part of the law. So when we get into the New Testament and we find what we read last week, uh, he's referring to it there more as it was uh, a part of the Mosaic Law, and it became that. But to begin with, it was under the patriarchal age, and was applicable only to those who, with whom God made a covenant. Uh, as, as, as addressed by Stephen here in our text at hand. Let me, let me make a clarification here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 15 and 16. Um, Romans chapter 6 and verse 15. What then? Boy, I don't know where to start here. Let's go back to verse 12. Let's go back to verse 12. I'm not going to take much time explaining this stuff. This is, this is a month in itself. That would become a rabbit trail. Let's keep it a bunny trail. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Now, there's, that's worth a couple of months right there. So I don't want to do a grammar thing here. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. What then, verse 15, shall we sin that because we are not under law but under grace? And that became quite a, 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 an open door to a lot of folks because they didn't look at the whole picture. We all get caught up in that. Most religions get caught up into that. And I want to I state it right here again. I, I'm being redundant. We have to state it over and over and over again. You always have to look at the covenant under which you live to know which part of the Bible relates to you. I had somebody bring up 
with me by, in writing this last week from Matthew uh, chapter 6. Want to know how to explain that? Well, I said, first of all, it wouldn't make any difference because there's nothing in Matthew 6 that pertains to us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John were written to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean there are not things there to be learned from, and that's true. But as far as explaining some things, you'd have to be thinking of it and hearing it in the terms of a Jewish mind, because that's his audience. Matthew particularly was written uh, to the Jew, and Jesus came to the household of Israel only. So anybody who goes back to John or John the Baptist or anybody else, you know, you know right off. You know, they're working from the pit. Let's not, let's, not, let's not do that. You always have to distinguish between the covenants. We're under the last covenant. We're under the, the covenant of grace. We're under, under the covenant that was established and realized and fully revealed with the destruction of the temple, the Jewish temple, in 70 A.D. That was it. All the Bible prophecy refers and looking ahead looks to that point in time. There's nothing after it. Anybody who talks about something happening to the Jews as a nation today in a covenant relationship, that's hogwash. And you know that also is from the pit. So don't go there. And don't let anybody take you there. It's tough. Satan likes to get you involved in the wrong covenant. All right. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. And the, the verse 16 now is our punchline. Do you not know that when you present yourselves, now when you present yourselves, that's voluntarily, isn't it? And now he's, he's speaking individually. Some of this context is speaking of the church corporately. You have to know the difference. We're not going to deal with that today. But do you not know, do you all not know, you as plural, as a corporate pronoun, do you all not know that when you present yourselves, which is plural, referring to each individual collectively, when you present yourselves, who does the presenting? You do. That's voluntary. That's right. You're not doing it for anybody else. Nobody else is doing it to you. But when you bring yourself to, and, and, uh, to, make, to make yourself a slave and you do so with the intent of being obedient to that master, you then are slaves of the one whom you obey. Now, how did you get there? You got there voluntarily. But whenever you place yourself under sin or when you place yourself under one covenant or the other, you become a slave to that covenant to which you have committed yourself. You're a slave to that covenant. Now notice how he goes on to talk about it. Either of sin resulting in death, see that, you voluntarily do that, but you have become a slave to sin, you have to break that before you ever get rid of the sin issue. If sin results in death, separation, or even of obedience resulting in righteousness. That's a form of slavery as well. But verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching. 
to which you were committed and have been freed from sin, you become, and, and having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness voluntarily. But you're still a slave because you have slave, you have, you have placed yourself to be obedient to some form, whether it's of sin or of righteousness. That's, I think there's an, uh, oh, that's far enough. Is that verse 18? That, that's as far as we need to go. That, that shows that you, this is just one definition. The, the word servant, by the way, is the same word for deacon. And by the way, the Bible talks about bond servants and bond slaves, those over which people have had no choice. Now, the Bible does not condemn slavery, nor does it condemn being a slave. What it does, because that was a cultural reality in its time, it tells masters how to treat their slaves, and it tells slaves how to perform before their masters. Nowhere does the Bible condemn slavery. Yes. That's right. Because body is singular and the your is plural, therefore body is corporate. That's right. Good point. She must have put on her thinking cap. When she's got it on, it's about a size nine. <laughs> What was that? The body is corporate. Is that what it is? In that case, yeah. In that yeah. verse, is well, is referring to the church as a whole. Oh, that church as a whole. Yeah. And it speaks to them um, that way. Yeah, and the, the way you can tell that in the grammar is that when the, the if it was speaking about individuals, bodies would be plural to match the pronoun. But the pronoun is plural, and the object of the pronoun is singular, so it's always corporate. That would close every door up and down the street. That would. Every door in this street, every, every other door, church door, would be closed if they read that verse and obeyed it. Because that's the one mistake they all consistently make. All right. Let's go to one more um, but so the initial point I'm making here is that even though it, your action is voluntary, whatever you voluntarily choose to be obedient to, you are you then become a slave to that whatever it is you decide to be obedient to. On the other hand, there are things that have we have done to us that are not voluntary on our part that bring us into slavery and circumcision was one of those things was was not voluntary and then under the patriarchal law but it committed us to the fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with Abraham Isaac and Jacob then when through the 12 tribes coming out of Jacob and forming as a nation in Egypt and then established permanently on Mount, at Mount Sinai, then 
that law, those people all became obedient to that law because of how they were born, and that was not voluntary either. So there are uh, there there are many aspects of slavery, you know, definitions. It all depends on its context. So here we simply find this principle that by choice, and I, that's what I thought Mike's question was last week, that by choice, whatever it is you choose to be in alignment with, you become a slave to what, whatever it is you have made your choice to be in alignment with. That's slavery. And, that's, and the key word there is resulting in, uh, in obedience. Whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing, either way, it's still slavery. And so we, we, are, we are slaves to Christ, but we come into that voluntarily, but we come into him as slaves because we have made him the point of, uh, of whom we obey. And so we are slaves to that. Do you have a hand up? No. All right, let's read one more in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And this is just a, a different aspect of it. So we've talked about at least three different things. We have... We have talked about slavery from the standpoint of a cultural slavery where people buy and sell people. The Bible does not condemn buying nor the selling of people. It tells you that it, it does teach us, though, if, uh, if we have the opportunity to be free, we ought to make that choice. And that if we are masters, then we ought to follow and in our obedience to Christ how to treat those whom we have control over, and on the other hand, those who are slaves and become Christians must learn that they have to be obedient to their master and to perform and make their slavery worthwhile to the one who owns them. That's one side. The other side is that there is a form of slavery that we have no choice in. We have no choice in circumcision. If you are born under the law, you are enslaved to the law. Thirdly, we have then, under the Christian age, as discussed in Romans, we have that situation where slavery is simply um, whatever it is that we have chosen by our volition to be obedient to. And that's something that needs to be emphasized because we, if we have become obedient to Christ, and that has been our choice, we become his slave, and we better start acting that way. And I'm wanting there to be a pregnant pause. All right, let's go to uh, Galatians chapter, or Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. I'm going to go back to verse 5. And this kind of tells you what I said earlier today, though I wasn't intending to read this. But let's look at verse 5. Serve slaves. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. You see, now he doesn't say that it's wrong to be a slave. He does not say that it's wrong to have slaves. 
That was a cultural reality. But there is a way for that relationship to be in honor of Christ. And that's what he addresses with. So be, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. We, that's, you know, that's easily understood. With fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. As, you know, your earthly, uh, physical master, you do what you need to be doing uh, in the sincerity of heart, not on the sly, as if it were to Christ. That's how God looks at it. You don't like it? Tough. Get a hold of it. Get used to it. That's the way it is. But not by way of eye service, not just putting on a good show as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. He's addressing slaves. Don't, don't just do your work to look good and to put on a good front, but do it as if you were a slave of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good things each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And notice in verse 9, had not attended her either, but now he's addressing the master. He doesn't say, you have to get rid of your slaves. Any church that tells you that you do, burn them. Did you hear what I said? They have no right to exist. The Bible addresses that issue. Masters, do the same things to them. You know, treat your slaves the same way as you want them to treat you. I've heard Fred mention that many times in, uh, from Hebrews or uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, a principle of Jesus reincorporated here under the new covenant. Do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both your master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So God sets the standard. And you need to present that standard through yourself before your slaves, those whom you have physical ownership over. That's the test of maturity. David? Yes. Then you can bring this up. I think to recent times, you know, the Civil War, the part where they said it was about slavery... I do believe the the owners of the slaves were really happy with setting the slaves free because that put them in a position they were no longer responsible to feed them and house them. And so now all these people who used to be slaves but are now free are responsible for their own housing and, and food and, and whatever. So it ended up being a win for the slave owners. They... <laughs> <laughs> I, I see your point, Mike. I see your point, loud and clear. Um, I think that's all that I need to say. So we all are slaves today. Every Christian is a slave. We are slaves to Christ, and we are slaves of Christ by choice. And because we are slaves of him... We don't do his will, but we do the will of God from the heart. That's taught to us through the apostles. 
You see that? I think everybody does. All right, let's go back to our text. Mike, do you have anything else to add? Any? Did I make it worse or better? <laughs> I'm sorry, I got you even involved with this one. <laughs> oh, that, that's that's fine because it's an issue that isn't often discussed. Yeah, I, it makes sense to me. I I'm good with it. All right, and if you think about it, you need to push it a little harder. While you get back to me on that, um, so it can be called slavery because even though it's done by choice. Uh, whatever you do in life, um, you've made a choice to be a slave to something, um, to yourself, uh, to your rocking chair, to something. And that, um, you're, you're still a slave even though you are that by choice. We, as Christians, we have become slaves of Christ. He dictates to us uh, how we ought to live and how we ought to think. Well, let's, let's go on. Dave? Yeah. Ted, Ted, Ted's got a question. All right. Well, a comment. Are you there? Yeah, I, I am, Ted. Good to hear you. Okay. In, in today, today's society, whenever you work for a person, you have voluntarily put yourself into servitude for that particular thing, for that particular time, whatever, whether it's, whether it's written out in a contract or whether it's not. Now, <clears throat> we have the option, if we work for somebody, we have the option of quitting that job. We're no longer a slave to that particular thing, but as long as we're there, we are a slave to the details of that employment. That's right. Okay, and so so that is modern day slavery, and we don't have the right, under any circumstances, to to enforce somebody to to do something that they do not want to do. In other words, force them into slavery to to do things that we want them to do that they don't want them to do. There yeah. is no right justification for that type of thought. That's right. Yeah, that um, force belongs not there. That's, um, no, I, I agree with that, Ted. Good point. Good analysis. Now, there is another little... Are, are, is that far enough for now? That was a good point. Good, good way to wrap it up. We'll go on from there. Uh, there's one more little bunny trail. Another lesson from Abraham. If I haven't got you mad yet, maybe this one will. Abraham, when he was called out of the earth of Chaldees, he had a plan to go have a destination. He stopped before he reached his own destination. He stopped short of that destination. And, um, and so God comes to him and calls him to finish out his journey and go to the destination that God had in mind. His Abraham's planning did not match God's plan that he had particularly unilaterally for Abraham. Now we don't know why God chose Abraham. He was just like everybody else. He was in the midst of idolatry from idolatrous family, but he did. God does not choose you and God does not choose me. 
That's hogwash, to say the least. But when God sets a plan, our ideas ought to match his plan. Now, Abraham did not know the whole story, nor he did he know the complete plan of God when God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and out of Haran to go to the land of promise. He did not know the whole story. But he responded to God by going each step as it was directed. As he learned of them, he made the move. You and I, in our walk with God, never know the whole story. We do not know what heaven is like. There is, it is not fathomable for anyone to explain to you the presence of God in heaven and why heaven is worth living for today, a place that we have not a clue as to what it is like. And anyone who thinks they do, they're full of hogwash too. Now, we know some things. We know what's been revealed. But even Paul says you can't, it's it's unfathomable. You cannot express it in human language. So don't try it. Then you would get an illusion. If you tried to do what you can't do, then you build an illusion. And that's probably not the word you're after, but that's what that's people have an illusion of what heaven is like. That's all we got. We need to know that God had this prepared before the heavens and the earth were built, because the heavens and earth and all the universe was physically put in place to resolve the sin issue that had transpired in heaven. We have the opportunity of participating in that and and of demonstrating that we believe God was right in how he treated the devil. That's what it's about. That's why you're here. And the church is the place where God will not force you to go. And he, he has allowed Satan to build all kinds of churches but he has his church, and you better be found in the one that God has built, or your destiny is the same as the devil's. No, no question about it. We do not know all of what heaven is like. So like Abraham, we move toward the unseen. By being true to the revelation of God while we are in what is seen. We are moving toward the unseen as Abraham was moving toward the unseen one step at a time. We move toward the unseen. And we do that and the capacity that God has given us to do that by is called faith. So what most people are talking faith 
has not has got anything to do with the faith of the Bible. That too is an illusion. So we need to get back to the facts. I think, as I said before, I was listening to some music coming down today by a quartet. All of the messages of the song, all the songs were wrong. But beautiful harmony. And I thought, you know, the harmony is so expressive of the Bible. The beauty of harmony is the standard of all Scripture. It is all in harmony, not fragmented. When we use the Bible to feed our pet peeves, and we break up and get into the wrong covenant, we upset that harmony. We have discord because it doesn't fit. But the truth always fits. It is always in harmony. And there is nothing more pleasant to the human ear, particularly those who have any musical background or musical training, nothing more beautiful in harmony. And some of the musicians today excel in harmony if only their message were right, but that's a different issue. Right now we're just dealing with the, the beauty of harmony, and that's what makes the Bible so beautiful, folks. Beautiful, more beautiful than any picture you can take, more beautiful than any of the scenic pictures. In my uh, television, I have it on 60.2. That's... Uh, uh, a 24-hour-a-day scenic view of the world. And it has a little music behind it, which I don't usually have on, but, but I just like the beauty, uh, the, ca- the mountains, the ships on the ocean, um, the fishing boats in the harbor, um, the rivers, the trees, the forest, the birds, the animals. Tanya showed me a picture this morning that uh, had been sent to her, I think by Nicolette, of a picture in Phoenix of a bobcat and three little cubs walking on one of the fences like we have around our yard. Now, that would shake folks up, wouldn't it? Uh, But uh, there's a beauty there in that cat family. You know, that uh, the mom out there with its three little cubs and walking down the property line wall, and it's really a, a beautiful sight. But there's beauty in harmony, and the Bible is harmony at its very best. cannot be excelled. All right, let's get back to our text in, Hebrew, uh, in uh, Acts. So we, looked at, we have looked at, the, we have looked at uh, slavery, Uh, We have learned from Abraham that uh, you may not know your destination and all the aspects of your destination, but we keep moving toward the unseen one step at a time by obeying what it is we need to obey today. You can't wait till you know everything until you are obedient in baptism, but you're lost if you're not. You might as well be a hellion. It makes no difference. Until you are baptized in, in, 
in, you, there's no promise of a resurrection. You have no hope. You're, you're living in hopelessness. It doesn't make any difference what the church says. That's the, what the Bible teaches. That's the point where God changes his mind toward you and you have done nothing. You do what God has commanded you to do and you do it when you know that he's commanded it to do it and then when that's done, you move on to the next thing that you need to do. But you're not going to know more than what you've responded to one day at a time. There's no need to know all the story until we have been obedient to the part that we do know. And if we don't obey what we do know, then it says our end is uh, we perish. That's in, in, in Thessalonians. All right, let's go back to our text. With those things said, uh, we have in verse 8, uh, and we read this, but I'm just going to read it as we move into the next uh, page. We'd like to get through chapter 7 before the end of time. But we want to keep Stephen alive, too. You know, every, every week that we delay this thing, Stephen, you know, sidesteps his uh, assassination. So he gave him the covenant of circumcision. Now, who gave whom what? Well, God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And, of course, those, those became the twelve tribes of Israel. And the patriarchs, and you, you notice how fast and how quickly he moves here. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Egypt uh, or Joseph into Egypt. But God was in this thing. God isn't in everything, but he was in this thing because this is a unilateral action of God to bring about the nation of Israel. He's not about bringing, he's not in the process of bringing about other nations today. He, he, is, he has established the one nation under God, and that's the church. God was with him. And verse 10, and delivered him not you. He delivered him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. So notice what happened to Joseph. Sold into Egypt by his own brothers. turned out that God was in that thing and it came out for the betterment of all people, including you and me. God does not work that way everywhere because he's not doing this again. He's only done it once. He only did it once. He only worked with these people directly once. Doesn't do it again, just once. And delivered him out of his all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So now... Joseph had favor with the king of Egypt. And he made him, and the king of Egypt made him governor over Egypt and all his house. So this guy tended to his business. If you had been sold into a country like Egypt, 
Who would have? Who would you have picked your first fight with? Somehow, Joseph was granted favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Probably more because of his disposition than anything else. But it came to the knowledge of Pharaoh. And by the way, this is all discussed in in Genesis chapter 43. And if you're not familiar with it, go and get familiar with it. Good, Good project this week for you all. Made him governor over Egypt and all of his household. So be, be minding his business, taking care of his affairs. Now he was elevated. Verse 11. Now there came... Um, this, you know, this was a time of famine uh, over all the land. Over the land of Egypt and, and uh, Haran. And great affliction. I'm having a hard time reading this for some reason now. Um, <clears throat> my eyes have gone blurry. We'll just keep doing the best we can. Correct me if I get too far off. And 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 the and fathers found no sustenance. And that, that means they couldn't find any food. Well, and that's what the New American Standard says. So I can see that better than I can this. So a famine came over all of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction with it. Big trouble. That's kind of cyclic, isn't it? Nations come and go. And our fathers could find no food. So when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Now you notice he's covering—he's covering a lot. He's skipping a lot of material here. You have to pick that up. But these people knew it. These people to whom Stephen was preaching here—they knew the story. They knew it well. He is giving them a reminder that is going to irritate them, oh, they're going to be irritated. So, Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and his relatives to him, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down, verse 15, Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. Well, that's the end of that part of the story. And from there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb uh, which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamer in Shechem. Now, one thing in closing, and our time is up already, and that is that we've covered a lot of ground here real quick. But notice in that verse in 16, folks, uh, one more thing first. This is not just a nice story for children. This is a story that people have to react to. And if you were a Jew, you would react probably the way that these Jews are going to act against Stephen. That when he's done and he draws all of this together with this accurate application, they're going to put him to death. See, this is not just a nice little story. Our kids need to know this story. But they need to know the whole story and what it led to and that it leads to decision-making. 
And that starts in Genesis chapter 43, I think, in the, at least in that area. So what happened here in conclusion today, Abraham bought for a sum of money. That tells you something about Abraham. He probably could have had that burial plot for nothing. But one of the things that characterizes Christians, they're not out to see what they can get for nothing. And you see that all the way through God's people. They wanted to pay for what it is they got. I want to close with that. Father, we thank you for a great day. It's a great day because you're in the midst of your teaching and we can sense that. Our commitment to you is to be true and to understand this revelation from you to us. In Jesus we pray, amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.